What's up, Elixir Talk fans? This is Desmond. Quick note about today's show, which we recorded a week ago, and in it we mention MPEX NYC and Codebeam Stockholm as being a week and a half away. That's no longer the case. They are this weekend, so make sure you don't miss them. MPEX NYC is this Saturday, May 18th, and Codebeam Stockholm is this Thursday and Friday, May 16th and 17th. So be sure to mark your calendars. If we say it's next week, don't listen to that. Check the dates. Make sure to show up. We hope to see you there. And thanks a lot. Enjoy the show. All right. Hello and welcome to Elixir Talk. This is me trying to sing the intro uh, poorly because we don't actually listen to the intro. We record this. My name is Desmond Bowie. I am joined by my co-host, Chris Bell. So inventive. Always so inventive, Desmond. <laughs> Hello, how are you? Uh, other than um, my limited creative outlets, I'm doing pretty well. Good, good. That's See, not entirely true. I have more creative outlets than just dreaming up of weird intros for this podcast. You have your pinball machine. I don't know how creative an outlet that one is, but... But I do have the pinball machine. That's right. I'm looking at it right now. Nice. Uh, what's going on in, in the world of Desmond? Well, I've been... Um, so I left my job a couple of weeks ago, and I've been exploring what to do next. And it's kind of interesting because, like, it's not really time off because we still have the podcast and the conference, and I'm pretty busy with the Erlang Ecosystem Foundation. Like, uh, things keep coming up with that. I think keep coming up. Like we're growing, uh, the foundation is expanding and it's just getting off the ground. So there's a ton of work to do, um, to make that happen. So it's pretty exciting, but like, there's no, there's no real vacation. So busy with a lot of little things, doing some research on a couple of product ideas, exploring a few other non-technical, um, projects. It could be a lot of fun and gardening. You know, nice. Making time, get my hands dirty. Solid mixture of things over there. Yeah. It's good. I'm glad you're keeping busy, you know. That's the that's the important thing, right? It's hard not to keep busy. Yeah. Yeah, you uh, have your fingers in a lot of pies, as they say, so it's good. Only the delicious pies. <laughs> I need the delicious pies, yes. Um, I have some news. What's your news? Well, I have, I have a couple of bits of news. First of all... Mm-hmm. We're in like deep conference planning mode. So mm. MPEX, NYC, when this comes out, will be like a week and a bit away. Um, so please buy your ticket if you haven't done that yet. It is literally going to be an amazing day. Uh, and we hope to see you there. Um, as always, MPEX is a conference that's hosted in a jazz club here in New York. Uh, well, the NYC edition of MPEX is hosted here in New York. We also have one in LA that was earlier this year. Um, we have eight great speakers lined up. It is the premier regional Elixir conference. Um, and we say that with such confidence because we organize it and it's awesome. And we hope we can see you there. So please get your ticket. It'll be a link in the show notes. And yes. Isn't uh, Dave Thomas delivering another bombshell this year? That is potentially going to happen yeah so we'll see what he says but um yeah he's going to be we're going to be doing a bit of like a fishbowl style conversation a bit more of mm. a round table so it won't be quite it won't be like all one way there'll be audience participation and discussion involved as well so 
Are there any other details that you can divulge about his bombshell dropping talk? I do not want to do that. So I want you to come and see it for yourself and hear it, you know. Or if you don't do that, maybe we can have him on this podcast, per se, Ah. something like that. Well, if you're trying to, like, promote the thing... Not telling people what he's going to talk about <laughs> makes it kind of hard. I just, I just want to like you know keep you in suspense because I think it's going to be an interesting discussion to say the least. So, yes, I think there will be some challenges of status quos that we think about in this ecosystem. That would be my hint. Is the plural not statuses quo? Stat- I don't know. <laughs> um, potentially. So, yeah, there we go. Um, well, so, I, I know what Dave's talking about, and it's pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Um, like like we said, we'll probably have him on the podcast to discuss it more, because he has some pretty uh, far-reaching ideas about how we should be writing our Elixir programs. Definitely. So, even though we can't get into more detail, rest assured, it'll be great, and you'll want to be there for it. Yes. Um and I think, you know what, that's going to be my news right now. Because, you know what, we have a guest today as well. Oh, right? we do. We do. We can see him on the Hangout right now. So uh, <laughs> we want to give a big Elixir talk welcome to Martin Sumner, who is an engineer at AirLogic. Um, hello, Martin. Hello, Chris. Hello, Desmond. Hello, Martin. Thanks so much for joining us today, Martin. Uh, we are... Very honored to have you on here, and we really appreciate you stepping in, even though it's very late your time. Um, for for the listeners out there, we record this in the evenings because time zones are hard for Desmond and I, and Martin is in the UK. Are you in Leeds? Yes. Okay. He's a northerner. He's in the UK, <laughs> and uh, it's extremely late his time. So um, if you fall asleep, we'll maybe yell or something. I don't know. But... Okay. Yeah. Just find a way to wake you up. That'd be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Martin uh, joins us today, um, and, and this is a bit of an elixir talk first, I'd say. Right. I think this is a uh, fair to say we haven't had anyone really from the Erlang side of the um, the ecosystem over on the podcast before. Is that right? Uh, sounds right. Okay, we we really need to like go through our back catalog. Um, <laughs> well, there was the Dialyzer episode. That's Erlang stuff. Yeah, but I think this is going to be even more Erlangy than we're <laughs> used to. So, um, I'm really excited. So, Martin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself to kick us off? Yeah, so I, I currently work at um, AirLogic, and uh, that's a company that uh, delivers technology services into the healthcare sector in the UK. And um, I primarily work um, for the um, on projects for the National Health Service. So uh, for those not from the UK, obviously we've got a, a, a public sector uh, um, nationalised health service, and it's quite a large organisation. It's I think the third biggest employer in the world after the Indian Railways and the Chinese Army. So mm. uh, when you deliver services internally for the NHS, they they can be quite quite large. And uh, um, I was uh, involved in the project to build the kind of centralised transactional uh, messaging and uh, database structure for the National Health Service uh, um, going back, uh, well, it's actually history going back about 15 years of that, that I've been involved in it. And the current incarnation of that uses uh, React. And uh, over the last few years, I've been focused on uh, developing um, um, enhancements and improvements to the React database uh, um, to help the NHS manage their spying program and some of the other projects uh, uh, that, that, that run React. 
So for our listeners, tell us a little bit about what React is, what it's useful for. It's a database written in Erlang, which is the, the main connection here. But give us a, a short overview of React. Yeah, so uh, a kind of React sort of ten, you tend to say environments that have uh, sort of significant problems of scale, but not necessarily sort of Google, Facebook levels of of global scaling. So quite a lot of React customers perhaps have two hundred to three hundred nodes in production environments, and generally split into into clusters of sort of twenty to fifty nodes. So it's there for addressing problems of the scale. You know, on the spying project, we've got about two to three billion records and documents in our database. Uh, and and you know, the, the system on a busy day will take about uh, um, 65, 60 to 65 million uh, um, external uh, messages coming into the system, uh, um, which are you know, requests to retrieve different documents, update different documents, and this kind of stuff. And, and you know, the average record or document size is somewhere between 10 and 100 kilobytes. So, you know, it, it, that that's sort of typical of a kind of a React type type at scale environment that's what, that, that it works in. One of the key focuses of React is really about maintaining availability. So it, it's it's for it's for customers that really care about availability, uh, and and in particular where data loss is is, is unacceptable. Uh, um, and in achieving availability and data loss, uh, um, it's really for environments where um, tail latency is quite important. So when you've actually got no down events and uh, and other uh, issues occurring, you want to make sure that you stay available. You don't lose data. You don't lose data. And the worst case latency scenarios uh, are under control. Uh, um, so uh, and. You know, I guess where you don't tend to see it is for people who really care about median latency. You know, if you want, you know, uh, um, sub millisecond response as a median latency for to fetching stuff, there's probably more in memory focused databases that would service that better. Uh, and it tends, it can be used in situations for non transactional stores for, for more uh, uh, um, sort of big data type stuff, but that's not a frequent use case. And I think the other thing as well is it tends to be used by organizations that are much fo- more focused on their long-term operational costs than potentially are their, their, their speed to market. So, uh, um, you know, in terms of getting developers up to speed quickly on how to use uh, React and, and understanding the intricacies of it and this kind of stuff, it's not as easy as perhaps getting up to speed with uh, a MongoDB or you're less likely to have someone in your team that has familiarity like they would with Postgres. So if you really want to get your project out to market really fast, uh, uh, React's you know the trade-off you make with React is it tends to hurt develop developer productivity, and there's a quid pro quo whereby your operators sleep at night a lot better. Hmm. Interesting. So a good use case for something like healthcare records, which obviously yeah. we cannot lose. Yeah, and and you know so 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 data loss is really critical in that environment, uh, uh, and um, you know we've maintained on the service overall. We we've been live now the current incarnation for five years, and it's been five nines available for that five years. And wow. uh, and you know there are so many different systems that use the spine. It's hard to understand what would happen if it did go down, so we don't really want to find out. So yeah, we're in, and 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 there is no there's no natural downtime. So there's yeah, we have no 
uh, uh, available slots to go down for any kind of transition or release work or change work or anything like that. You know, ambulance services are using this 24-7. Pharmacies are using it 24-7. Uh, uh, um, you know, uh, out-of-hours GP practice systems are using it. So, you know, we, we, we don't have an opportunity uh, um, to take take an outage. So well, do you... Uh, do you- do hot upgrades in production? How do you deploy this code without any downtime? Um, so in terms of the, the, the React-specific part of the code, uh, um, every release of React uh, uh, has generally been focused on making sure that you can always do a rolling upgrade. So there's a node-by-node upgrade mechanism uh, mm. and that you can go through. So, uh, um, um, so essentially that allows us to actually on live databases, node by node, take a node out, take a node out, upgrade it, re-add it into the cluster, and keep rolling that through. Mm. And obviously, it behaves. You know, part of the the the, the natural availability guarantees it pays behaves very well whilst that node is unavailable, uh, um, so we don't lose either availability and also it maintains its full level of replication whilst nodes are unavailable. So mm-hmm. whereas other databases, if you take a node out, you, you know, rather than replicating something three times, it might only replicate something twice temporarily. React is built on the principle that no matter how many nodes you 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 take out, if you want to replicate something three times, it will always try and replicate something three times. Well. And can you talk about the underlying technology that powers that as well? Yeah, so uh, I mean, React is built. Uh, um, it's built on Erlang, uh, um, and and it's made up of of, of many components. Uh, um, the, the 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 central component uh, uh, building block is a thing called React Core, which is simply a way of uh, um, spreading load across uh, multiple virtual nodes within a system. So, in a typical cluster, you might have you might have phys- fifteen physical nodes. But React will actually be thinking about maybe uh, 128 virtual nodes within that, uh, and effectively, when it's when a, when you're taking a node out and adding a new node in, generally speaking, what you're doing you're you're shuffling those virtual nodes uh, around the system. So React Core is a is a generic way of building a distributed application, and then the actual React Key Value Store is is built on top of that. Um, and you know, most React customers then use that React key value store in in a fairly sort of traditional key value way. You know, just get put type workload, and then there's a series of things that have been built on top of React to try and help with that developer productivity problem. So um, you know, there's, there's there's some basic stuff like secondary indexing and this kind of stuff, uh, but there's also a module that allows you to plug it directly into Solar, so you can query it like a like a Solar API, which can get up people up to up to speed much faster rather than having to write their own query plans using the secondary index solution. Uh, there's a plugin to do. Uh, um, a thing called conflict-free replicated data types. So one of the problems. In, in React is that in order to preserve data is that sometimes you may end up with multiple versions and it will present those back to you as, as siblings. And as an application, you need to reason about how to pick out the, the, the winning uh, um, item from the, from, the, from, from the information you've got in those siblings and, and conflict-free replicated data types are a way of avoiding that. Uh, there's a module for strong consistency because some applications are easy to write like that. And all those are bolted on top of the React KV uh, um, application. Mm. So it's wow. a very modular system. Mm-hmm. 
And is it all in memory or is it ever persisted? Like, how, how does it work on the storage front? So, so the key thing is, is, is it does have an in-memory backend option, but generally speaking, most people use the Reactor focused on persisting their data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even though we're replicating it to multiple places, we also persist it. Uh, um, uh, as well so the general mode of operation is that you replicate to n places and n is normally three and you would normally persist into three places as well and the size of sort of uh, 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 data that we're keeping here you know is you know most clusters have tens of terabytes of data so we're in the the realms uh, not only where you 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 need to persist uh, for economic reasons uh, quite often we need to persist even on spinning you know old fashioned spinning hard drives for economic reasons mm. as well and and the one thing about react is that um it is very much designed to to work on commodity low cost hardware uh, and you know that's one of the big uh, the, the 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 spine NHS system was originally built uh, as a big enterprise Java application, very badly distributed across thousands of thousands of computers in a way that was very very hard to operate, with a massive vertically scalable Oracle database at the root of it. And mm. and you know the the biggest difference we got in making the transition, the biggest single difference in cost. Uh, uh, was probably the moving away from um, specialist infrastructure, specialist storage area networks, onto something that we can scale across, you know, one U hardware nodes, uh, uh, you know, where everything's standardized and you know that they are of much lower cost. And if if we want to improve in performance by adding more memory, then we add another node in, and we get the memory that's in that node joins into the cluster and gives us more memory in the cluster. If we run out of disk space, we add another node in. If we need more CPU power, we add another node in. And having that same operational answer to all your scaling problems, that horizontal scale-out approach, Mm. uh, uh, really helps us operate much more efficiently as we face uncertainty of how the solution is going to scale going forward. So that's a pretty clean scaling story if the story is always just add another node. And turn it on. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I, I mean, I guess yeah, you know, there, there may be some situations where you may want to, you know, I mean, once you got to a certain size of cluster, you never want the answer to be change your nodes, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, uh, um, and so we go through a sort of a te- technology refresh program where every kind of three to five years we go and and buy new nodes and start rolling them in to to the service, uh, and you know, generally speaking, those new nodes will be a little bit faster. Uh, um, um, and 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 you know may have a little bit more disk space uh, and 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 this kind of thing, um, but yeah, you know that doesn't really change the profile of the service uh, um, an enormous amount. Well, um, so did you say you've been working on this for fifteen years? Is that um, so? I, I originally joined the Spine program in two thousand three. Wow. So at that stage, it, I, I was working for the people that won the business to build the spine. So right. in the old days in the UK, you know, technology programs were always outsourced to big systems integrators. Yeah. Uh, um, they they were hugely expensive. So the original spine program cost, I think, in the end, just shy of a billion pounds. Uh, and, and they're all disastrous. Yeah. So if there's a, there's a Wikipedia page, which is the uh, a list – of large-scale IT program disasters, uh, and and Spine <laughs> and the Connecting for Health is the most expensive one on that page. 
Right. So, I remember that being in the news as a like when I was younger. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's that's so funny. So so I I say so I worked on that back in two thousand three, and it, you know, it was an interesting environment back then. Uh, um, it, it was a big challenge trying to build this massive thing written in Java by lots of different suppliers using lots of different enterprise products on top of Oracle and this kind of stuff, you know. And there were some, you know, some 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 genuine challenges for for us as a supplier. You know, I think we had six months from contract award to go live and trying to get a system that's going to be reliable and stable in that period, as well as you know all the functionality that was needed, was 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 a huge challenge, and 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 that drove lots of bad practices. And then eventually, you know, um, um, there was a there was a change in management, and a new management came in, and I kind of disagreed with the way that that management operated, and 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 you know, they they kind of drove up the scale of people required to run the service, and it got to the stage when I think there were three thousand people working on the solution. Wow. And 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 I'd left in in sort of disgust by that stage, <laughs> and um and then sort of. Eight nine years after that, uh, I was then working for the NHS, and um, the the contract was coming up for you know its ten year renewal, and uh, um, you know they were talking about building something of similar scale again, either with a different supplier or renewing with that supplier. And by that stage, you know I'd read uh, Programming Erlang by Joe Armstrong, and uh, I sort of. I'd had a lot of experience in the first thing with trying to operate it as a as, as a distributed system, and I decided that there were there were better ways of doing this kind of thing. And uh, um, I was part of the group that was looking to procure the replacement solution, and I think they said they needed sort of twenty five people just to run the procurement team. And wow. I said, you know, twenty five people, let's let's try and build the the solution instead. And and we got mm. the go ahead to do that in the end. And so uh, so we built it with a relatively small team. Going from three thousand people down to twenty five, and uh, uh, um, and it's been a big success th- since. Uh, the, the actual spine solution itself is mainly written in Python, but it, but it, but the, the the architecture pattern is very much taken from from Erlang and lessons from there. And the underlying products we chose, uh, a, a lot of them are Erlang based, primarily React and and, and RabbitMQ. Mm. So uh, so that got me you know into working with Erlang uh, uh, back in 2003 when I started on this I was a, a network engineer so I, I didn't do any development and uh, having after years of trying to support applications failing over the network I, I sort of decided I've, I should give this development a go myself and uh, and so I've 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 been involved in development over the last sort of seven or eight years. Wow. So. Can you tell us a bit more about the backstory of React? Because I know that one is, that's an interesting story. And I know it's gone through a lot of twists and turns over the years. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Basho is the company that was behind React originally. I think they founded back in about 2008, 2009. Uh, originally, they were developing a, a, a Salesforce app. And they decided they needed a storage backend for their Salesforce app. And I think they'd read the uh, um, yeah the Amazon Dynamo paper, which is uh, um, you know published back then as a way of doing a distributed database. And so they built their their backend for their Salesforce app uh, based around the Dynamo paper. And I think they were going around talking to people about their Salesforce app, and they, they weren't getting much interest. But every time they talked about their backend database, they got a load of interest. <laughs> So uh, at some stage, they they kind of they kind of segued across into being a database company, and and started trying to sell the the React database. Um, I think version one came out in two thousand and eleven, 
Um, and um, and so, yeah, it was one of the first examples out there uh, at the time of the sort of rush to no sequel stores. Uh, um, they, they won quite a, a significant base of customers, particularly in very large organizations. Um, they then went through a sort of transition between 1.0 and 2.0, sort of between 2011 and 2014, when um, the first thing they sort of started discovering was sort of edge cases that weren't really covered in the Dynamo paper. And, you know, so they had the normal growing pains with customers who discover weird things that can go wrong. Uh, when when you implement this, and so the, there's a lot of effort on on really making it robust in production, but obviously a few people got hurt in the, in, in that process. And then the other thing that they started putting focus on in the move towards 2.0 is to, is to try and address this trade off with developer productivity, and to try and add on these services that would make developers more productive. Um, so in two, 2014, 2.0 was out, and by that stage, we went live on Spine, and, and there, there, there were multiple other customers live. Um, but I think for Basho, you know, it was a challenge for a commercial organization running an open source database. I think um, you, know, you, you have potentially some customers who, who aren't sophisticated, and it's a quite co- complicated database, and they can be quite expensive to support. And because it's open source, you know, you're mainly selling support uh, and that can have quite high overheads if your customer isn't sophisticated. If your customer is very sophisticated, so if they're selling into one of the, you know, the, the larger um, online organizations, the customer largely looks at their, your open source database and thinks, well, I can support this myself. Uh, and so aren't that interested in buying it. Uh, and also it, it, it was still a niche product, you know, so the, the, you know, even if they sold it to hundreds of companies, those hundreds of companies are distributed around the world, and and there are certain overheads with running a commercial company where your customers are distributed around the world. So I think they were struggling with all of that. Uh, uh, they went through their own management change, and the new management that came in around about the two dot time, um, in many ways, stopped focus on the things that React had been doing well in the past. They stopped focus on a lot of the initiatives to address the developer productivity. Uh, and they decided that in order to meet the commercial goals of the, the venture capitalists behind uh, um, um, Basho, that they had to address a whole new market. And so they set about building a, a time series database on top of React. And that contained, you know, I've no doubt there was fantastic technical work in there and there's lots of things interesting in it. Uh, I know that they reintroduced a whole new sort of SQL thing into the NoSQL world to do the uh, the, do the time series database. Uh, um, but ultimately, um, they failed to secure any customers for the time series database. And, you know, having spent all the funding building it and not securing any new customers... In um, 2017, Basho went into receivership, and obviously that put a bit of a, a you know a shock into the system, you know, for particularly sort of relatively conservative companies like big public sector organisation like the National Health Service. Suddenly, seeing the people you're relying on for support going out of business and realising uh, uh, you're on your own, mm-hmm. and um, there was some initial sort of fluctuations and concerns about where people stood in terms of licensing and legally and this kind of stuff. And we were very fortunate that that one of the big customers of, of React is uh, an organization in the UK called Bet365, 
who are a, a huge online uh, uh, um, betting uh, uh, group, uh, um, immensely profitable, uh, um, and one of the big sort of te- technology success, success stories in the UK. And, and they were a big React customer, uh, and they stepped in and bought all the assets out of receivership, dealt with any of the, de- turned on any of the proprietary code into open source assets, and, and, and effectively um, supported the community in, in, in resolving any kind of le- outstanding legal question marks around React. Uh, mm. um, so uh, that allowed people to consider carry on using React and consider carrying on developing it. But we've probably struggled a bit in the last two years to actually form an effective community, uh, particularly because most of the people being funded to work for it are being funded to work for their particular customer uh, and and have to look after the interests of those customer, and often some of the customers are wanting to keep some of the stuff they're doing confidential uh, and this kind of thing. So uh, um, we've not really thrived as a community yet, uh, but you know things are, are more positive now, and we're seeing a lot more contributions now over the last six months in particular. Uh, in the releases we've got coming ahead, uh, we're starting to see a sort of step change increase in the number of contributors, and hopefully we can uh, uh, start to begin uh, build a more uh, 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 you know, bigger success going forward. Awesome. So can you talk about your involvement on the open source side as well? Yeah, so since... Um, so around about 2016, um, I'd left the, the National Health Service and the spying program, uh, feeling a little bit tired and worn down by the, uh, yeah, the, the 13 years working on it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I was just looking for a challenge. So uh, um, I, I decided to take a year off work. Uh, um, I'd done a little bit of Erlang work doing a, a, a patch on React uh, about three or four years ago. And that's the first bit of Erlang development I'd done, a very minor little feature. And I thought, well, why not take a year off and just try and get to know Erlang? And what a better way of getting to know Erlang than trying to write something for React in Erlang? So, sure. um, um, I, what, so Erlang has multiple backends that you can plug into it for doing the database storage. Uh, one of them is, a, is an Erlang-based store called – so React has multiple backends. One of them is an Erlang-based store called Bitcask that you may have come across. And then there's one that's a heavily modified version of Google's Level DB. Um, which is based on a thing called a log structured merge tree, but LevelDB is written in C plus plus, and you know if you're supporting React and dealing with React and everything else is in Erlang, it's kind of confusing to skip into this C plus plus world, which you need to do to to support the back end. So I set myself the the task of of, of writing a new back end for React uh, that was based on a log structured merge tree, but purely in Erlang. So I just did that as a year for a challenge. Uh, and uh, having done that for a year, Basho went bust, and so the NHS were then looking for people to help with React, and so I got involved again uh, now with some funding from the NHS to try and actually start working on on, on, on releases. And uh, we put out an initial release last year uh, with some support from uh, Russell Brown, who's an ex-Basho developer, and some people in the NHS and some people in Bet365, and, and that added some... Function some features that helped with some of the edge cases around tail latency, and we we've got a big release get ready to go out that hopefully we'll be able to announce at Codebean Stockholm uh, um, in May, uh, um, w- where we're going to add in the the new uh, backend log structure merge tree that's called Level Ed that that I'd written in my in my year off, 
and a whole new anti-entropy mechanism as well that we've written. So this is the kind of the first large-scale upgrade to React uh, that's going on. So so that, that that's kind of, uh, yeah, what I've been working on there in terms of uh, contributing to the, to the open source bit. And obviously the, the, the National Health Service has been very positive about everything we do going open source and and they're very keen for that to happen, and 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 they reap some benefits because you know what we've actually found is is other customers uh, have been willing to implement stuff that we've written uh, into production before before we have, and so you know we get some benefits of uh, of safety from 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 other people using this as well as us. Amazing! Wow. That sounds like a hell of a project for a year <laughs> off. I have to say, um, so uh, I mean. I'm going to ask the obvious question here on the Elixir Talk podcast. Have you done any Elixir as well as your Erlang? As no, I, I'm, I'm afraid to say no. I've I've got no experience of, of Elixir. Uh, um, so I know there are, there are people within the React community, uh, uh, um, like Brian Hunter, Erlang Solutions, that are really really keen for us to to try and open up a bit more to the Elixir community and try and make it easier for Elixir users. Uh, one of the big barriers we've got at the moment is that uh, React is dependent on an old version of OTP, so it runs on OTP 16. Oh, oh, wow! So, uh, and and uh, and you know that's a, an issue not just for opening up in terms of you know getting people from the Elixir world to use it. It's an issue for long term maintainability for us, and it's also an issue that you know it, it's not a very CPU efficient store, and you know a lot of that may well be addressed simply by moving. To, to 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 a more up to date OTP version, so we've got a big project running at the moment with about about sort of uh, ten to twelve people working on it to uh, uh, to go to OTP twenty for our for our next major release, uh, um, and so once we're up at OTP twenty, uh, um, then I think we're probably going to be in a position whereby uh, we can start move away from from potentially focusing so much. On the existing production system problems, the long-term maintainability overheads, and that kind of stuff, and we can start thinking about answering questions about, well, you know, how do we make this easier to use? How do we make this easier for the people to get introduced to introduce to it? How do we reach out to to communities that might have a natural affinity with with, with using a Beam-based uh, uh, database? Uh, um, so, uh, uh, you know, hopefully that's something we can start to move forward onto in in, in you know in the next six months. But but in the meantime, the focus is really on on, on getting that technical debt sorted out. Right. Yeah, that sounds like a hell of a challenge as well, going from OTP sixteen to twenty, and then, I mean, you've got to go to twenty one as well at some point, right? But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, and, I, 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 we're hoping if we break the bracket with twenty, then we should be okay. That there has been a number of different projects run over the years to try and make this happen in right. Basho in the past and this kind of stuff. Uh, and we've decided that we're going to kind of forgo uh, um, backwards compatibility in the sense that we're not going to try and have a, a, a release of React that will run on both OTP 16 and OTP 20. And, and hopefully that will make life a lot easier. Uh, we've got some really good people involved in that. Uh, um, Bet365 are making all the contributions to that. And we've got some help from uh, Quivic who uh, are specialists in property-based testing, and they wrote a lot of the tests for the React database originally uh, and have a lot of Erlang expertise. And so they're giving us help as well 
in moving forward to OTP20. So we do now have a situation where people are, are, are able to run locally a version of React on OTP20. Uh, we've got a workshop coming up in two weeks when we're all gonna we're all gonna travel from wherever we are and get together and uh, uh, and try and thrash out the final bits of that of that project. I mean, that sounds like a pretty solid community in and of itself. Yeah, I I, I do think that um, you know for, for for the last for the first year and a half after Basho, we 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 haven't really fa- we haven't really succeeded as a community, and I do feel that uh, we are getting a bit more focused now, and and, and we are working a, a lot better. We still lack, you know, I can't point you at very nice, pretty community resources and this kind of stuff. Nice getting started, guys. A lot of those things are still on the old Basho website. Uh, and uh, um, but you know, I know uh, uh, um, you mentioned. Oh, we talked earlier about Peter Clark from Tote who were uh, uh, supporting some some React customers, and 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 they're working on trying to get some more uh, uh, a more friendly face for React out there onto the internet. Uh, um, and uh, so hopefully we can we can really begin to move forward over the next few months. But we're we're very much in a work in progress as a community at the moment. But mm-hmm. we're, we're definitely improving rather than getting worse, which is a good thing. <laughs> definitely. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it it sounds like such an interesting piece of technology. Honestly, I've like this is one of those things that you hear about on the periphery, and I've never really heard about in depth before. And I'm, to be honest, I haven't really. S- like sort it out in any way and like had a look at it but um yeah it's just fascinating to hear you know especially powering the nhs and all of the work you've done there that's that's an incredible project so yeah, yeah. and and it's a you know i i found it a very absorbing subject as well right. and and you know every time you you go into it you you discover something new yeah you know? and you know for you know basho did create something uh um, i think still is that's quite important in in you know it, from a computer science perspective there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that they've done whether they're their only real active you know implementation out there in production uh, um they they were very leading edge and particularly when it came to conflict free replicate data types in taking work that was coming fresh out of uh, uh, um you know um universities and taking that into uh, um real world systems uh, um, so, um, you know, it was a great uh, strength of Basho, the, the link that they formed between computer science research and actually uh, implementing things into production. And they used to do, uh, uh, you know, historically they used to do conferences like Recon when they would try and get academy, ac- academics and industry together and this kind of stuff. So there's, there's some really, you know, once you dig into it, there's some really interesting computer science. There's some really interesting subjects. And a lot of it is, is 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 you know is very much bang up to date with what's going on at the moment. Uh, uh, and so you know, I, it, I think it's good that we're preserving it for the customers that are out there at the moment. Hopefully, we can introduce new customers. But I think it's also important that we preserve it as uh, um, you know for the for the research gained out of out of React so far. Absolutely, cool. And uh, you speak at some conferences as well. Is that right, Martin? Yes, I'm going to speak at Codebeam Stockholm uh, in May. So that's the only one I've got uh, got scheduled at the moment. But uh, yeah, so if anyone's uh, in the Elixir community is going to be in uh, going to be in Stockholm, then please uh, uh, um, tap me on the shoulder and have a chat. Awesome. Tell them, th- tell them you heard about him on Elixir Talk. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think we have some international listeners. I think so. But uh, yeah, and I'm sure there's a bunch of the folks from. 
uh, London going to going over there. So it's not far to yeah. go. So makes sense. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Martin, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Um, just the just hearing about this subject has kind of piqued my interest a lot and i'm definitely going to dig in a bit more and i really hope that there's more points where these two communities can come together i think Mm -hmm. there's you know there's a lot of great uh developer like ux kind of parts of the elixir community that maybe you could borrow a bit of and especially documentation formats and things like that um and i yeah i really hope that there can be a bit more uh, you know, a bit more of that in the future and a bit more of coming together of these two worlds. So, okay, yeah, excellent. I agree with that totally. And uh, thank you very much for having me on. It's been uh, it's been a it's been a pleasure being here. Yeah, thanks so much. And um, if if people uh, want to follow you on Twitter or get in touch with you, where can they do that? Uh, so I'm I'm MAS Leeds on Twitter. I, I tweet very little. I'm, I'm I'm a bit old for it, I think. So <laughs> I, I'll do my best. So so yeah, but that's probably the best place to contact me. Uh, um, um, and uh, yeah, if you want information on the React Slack channel and this kind of stuff, we can we can put that. I'll put that out on Twitter. So you can oh, see cool. That. Um, and we can link to that in the show notes okay. as well. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. Um, yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, Martin, what we should tell you, because we forgot to do this at the beginning, is at the end of the podcast, we all say keep elixiring together. Um, so we're going to have to do that. And it's always <laughs> awkward. So you're just going to have to bear with us. OK, um, but it wouldn't be elixir talk if we didn't say keep elixiring. So there we go. Um, but thank you, everyone, for listening today, as always. Um, if you have any questions for myself or Desmond or Martin, Uh, You can reach out to us on Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash Elixir Talk. You can also open up a GitHub issue on our GitHub um, repo, which is github.com forward slash Elixir Talk forward slash Elixir Talk. And as always, we really appreciate all your ratings and reviews of this podcast. And we love it when you tell your friends, especially your friends in the Erlang ecosystem. Now that we have some Erlang content out there as well. Thanks to Martin here. Or Um, even in the Python ecosystem, because as Martin said, the application code is largely written in Python, but the back end is Erlang. Absolutely. So we are just spanning communities left, right and center here. So (laughs) that's great. Um, But yeah, thank you so much, Martin, for being on the podcast today. And keep Keep elixiring. elixiring.